You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, consoler, spirit of truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to everyone here as we are drawing close to Holy Week. Can you believe it? Annie? We're getting, it's like Passion Week, right? Yeah. Yep. Palm Sunday, the fifth week of Lent. We're getting close. We Let's are go ahead and jump close. into our, our uh, fifth Sunday of Lent with our passages that we have in our lectionary. So the first reading for the fifth Sunday of Lent is from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 12 through 14. The responsorial psalm is the De Profundis. Psalm 130. Our gospel for this weekend is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, and the epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. There we have it. There we have it. So whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37. Well, I've got my Bible open. Let's give everybody a chance to get there. Ezekiel chapter 37. Go. Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel's right there, oh, what, two-thirds of the way, just not quite two-thirds of the way in your Bible, but you'll find it there, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 12, Annie. Yes, verse 12 is where we are beginning. Here we go. Let's go. Thus says the Lord God, O my people, I will open your graves and have you rise from them and bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and have you rise from them, O my people, I will put my spirit in you that you may live, and I will settle you upon your land. Thus you shall know that I am the Lord. I have promised, and I will do it, says the Lord. So, Father, before we even look at this passage specifically and what's going on here, just remind us in general, like where and when Ezekiel is prophesying. Sure. As we normally do, let's go ahead and uh, open to chapter one of the prophet, right? Because that's our habit. And that's what we're trying to do here at the Synagogue Reflections to get the right habits in place. So, Annie, go ahead. Uh, Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter one. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel chapter one. We'll start with verse one. All right, it says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Chabar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So, the- there, so, so, so there we have it. What exile? The Babylonian exile, right? And so they are, um, so Ezekiel is actually taken off. You know what I did in my Bible? And maybe this is a little bit helpful to you guys. Um, is I, uh, um, is I right at the beginning of each of my prophets, I wrote in for myself when they were, when they're writing, 
because you know I have my memory. I can't, you know. So I just write in there because sometimes it's a little bit of a of a of a um, uh, nuanced thing because the exile didn't happen like that. There were three different exiles which took place, and uh, Ezekiel is taken in this second exile right around. 598. So it's like Tracy, did you go back to Second Kings chapter what uh 24? Am I right? Second Kings chapter 24. Uh just so I give you guys a right reference here. Um 20, yeah, Second Kings chapter 24, um, verse oh, so one, you get the end. first exile, chapter mm-hmm. 10, you get the second exile, and then in chapter 25, the you know, the whole thing comes down. So um, so he's taken the second exile right around 598 and uh yeah so there there you go okay now when we look at this passage specifically um can you talk about the context in which in which this particular prophecy is coming about yes because it's pretty epic it's pretty epic and i think for us to contextualize what's going on we talk a lot about the babylonian exile but you know i don't know that we, we talk about it as a thing that happened, right? It's such a massive event. It was so disastrous for God's people. They see the temple burn there in 2 Kings chapter 25, and they're taken off to, to, to Babylon. And then we get so many of the prophets writing during that time. Ezekiel clearly is writing about what God is actually going to do for his people, right? He's, he, this is not the end. The burning of Jerusalem is not the end of the story. As we get in a number of the prophets, Isaiah, for example, chapter 40 is that turning point where the the prophet is giving us not only warnings about the impending doom, but then hope that God is going to intervene. And that's exactly what 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 Ezekiel is is prophesying about here. And for us to understand this, we, I want to just break you out of your Christian context for a minute, okay? Because we get, we're like, oh yeah, that's nice. We're people of the resurrection. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. But obviously the prophet is talking about to people that didn't have that information, right? Sure. So what are the people dealing with? Well, they're in exile for 70 years. That means an entire generation of people die in exile. And so of course the question is, what's going to happen, right? And I just come back to that kind of natural level, not informed by the resurrection of Christ, that natural level of man. I was just today visiting a uh, mortuary that is just newly constructed. And I mean, it's brand new. There's no dead bodies there. They haven't moved in yet, if you will. The, 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 it's still being finished in construction. But my heart just being in that place was like, you know, it's still the reality of maybe even more striking that there wasn't there were, there were no dead bodies or people mourning because mm. it was empty. But I know what it's made for. And so that that kind of that natural response to death and the reality of death, um, these people were living in it and they're asking some fundamental questions about their life, the meaning of their life and whether God is abandoned them. And they're in Babylon. They're in exile. And so I want to let that be our, our stage. It kind of sets things for us. I'm going to turn back to, real quick with, with you to the book of Genesis, to the death of Joseph. Hmm. Because I always found this passage 
so so moving it, the, it's, it's, it's as he's dying and it's verse yeah genesis chapter 50 genesis chapter 50 verse 22 so joseph dwelt in egypt he and his father's house and joseph lived 110 years and joseph saw ephraim's children of the third generation the children also of of Mekir, the son of manasseh were born upon joseph's knees and joseph said to his brothers i'm about to die but god will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to abraham to isaac and to jacob then joseph took an oath of the sons of israel saying god will visit you and you shall carry my bones from here so joseph died now that passage is so powerful to me he says don't leave me don't leave me in Egypt. Take my, pick me up and carry me home. You know, I just, I was I get, get, get emotional about it. Just so powerful. These last words, don't leave me exiled from my home. And I think this is the right way in which we should be reading Ezekiel. And then just to turn our passage, we're, we're in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to do something unusual with our ICC students today. And as we're going to take a look at another passage in Psalms and actually listen to some uh, some chanting of, of the Psalms that is very powerful. And during this time of Lent can be very helpful for meditation. But if you take a look at chapter 35, chapter 35 is a prophecy against uh, those who destroyed Jerusalem, hmm. the Babylonians. But it also t- mentions the Edomite people. Okay, I'm going to come down to verse 15. Chapter 35, verse 15. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will deal with, with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all of Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, the Edomites are living kind of uh, on the western side of the Holy Land. The Edomites are sons of Esau, the, uh, Esau from the Old Testament. Sure. They were kind of not really part of God's people at that point, right? They're, they're like half brothers. And they're there, but they're, yeah, they're not friends. And probably the interaction had taken place economically and so forth. Well, the Edomites apparently sided with the Babylonians when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. We know that from a number of passages in the Old Testament. In fact, I'm going to give those to you right now. Obadiah chapters 11 through 14, Psalm 137, which we're going to look at. Ezekiel chapter 35, which we're looking at right now. Ezra and so forth. There's another passage that mentioned Edom as like the enemy traitors and traitors and and i think i think it's so powerful because they were related hmm. they were in look what you did to us and so there's a number of passages say may 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 you experience what we experienced and so the all of these prophecies about the desolation of, of the edomites and so what was it that they experienced okay I need to turn you to the prophet Jeremiah. You know what? It's not Jeremiah. It's Lamentations of Jeremiah. So let's turn very quickly. It's right there. Lamentations of Jeremiah, chapter 2, 
remember the lamentation of Jeremiah is Jeremiah is coming back to the city. He laments over the city that is now burned right. to the ground, right? He experienced the conquest. And so Jeremiah here in chapter two, verse 20 says, look, O Lord, and see with whom hast thou dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the children of their tender care? So apparently the, the Babylon siege was so bad that the that mothers cannibalized their infants in the city of Jerusalem. Now, you may say, that's disgusting, Father, why are you mentioning that? Because we have to understand the desire, the, 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 what the people are going to, if we're going to understand the prophecy of Ezekiel, okay? And it's also going to help us understand one of the most difficult Psalms that is always and everywhere avoided. <sighs> but of course, we're at the Institute of Catholic Culture, and I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, which means we're going after we're it. Going Psalm 137, there. okay? Right. Psalm 137 speaks of the exile and then prophesies against the Edomites. Okay. It's a famous passage by the waters of Babylon. Oh, yeah. In which the people, now you know this because there's, I think there's a famous setting, musical setting to this, is there not? Well, yeah. there's a musical setting to this, which you don't know, Annie, nor do any of our people know it. And I'm about to share it with you. It, it is, the notation comes from about uh, somewhere like the 1700s. It's very old, but this has now been translated into English. And it's, it's sung in the Byzantine liturgy during this season of Lent. And here it is, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, raise it, raise it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall he be who requites you with what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Okay, now, this is, I say it's always avoided because how do you deal with this, especially yeah. good pro-life Catholics, right? Imagine having seen and gone through what they went through. The Psalms are as um, the Psalms are like Father Ronald Knox said, he's like the nursery rhymes of the church in which all of the emotions of humanity are captured. And here, I, you, can you ima imagine a more devastating memory? May you, Edom, experience what we experienced. And this is the, the psalm that is sung. So we're going to go ahead and now, the psalm is not short, it's just over 10 minutes the chanting of this. But I would just ask you to take a few minutes now, sit down and prayerfully listen, prayerfully study this Psalm 137 as the proper background to, to Ezekiel. And then I'm going to share with you a quotation from St. Cyril of Jerusalem.
we'll go ahead and share that that uh, music now. Love. Well. 
I mean, wow, super incredibly powerful what we just heard there, Father. And this is really, I mean, giving a lot more insight into what the the Israelites were were feeling and, and thinking, but we haven't talked about the dry bones yet. Can you, <laughs> I mean, come on, Father, okay. not to like, you know, move us away from, like, uh, you know, all of this lament, but. For, okay, for sake of time, for sake of time, I'm going to go, I, let's just talk very quickly about the contents of this passage in understanding the resurrection, now we can go Christian, okay? Yeah. Now we can go, what is the vision, right? This is the hope. That's what it's trying to set up here is this is, I mean, there's nothing left. This is it. Yeah. Their only hope is in the Lord is going to intervene somehow in the fact that my father died and I'm mostly going to die here too. What's, what, what does this all mean, right? But here's, here's what's so beautiful about, about this passage, about our faith in the resurrection, about the Pascha, which we're preparing for. Notice the connection between the graves, between the resurrection here, and the spirit that the, that the Lord is going to give to his people, right? He's going to say, yeah. I will place my spirit, I will put my spirit in, in you that you may live, right? And, mm-hmm. and going back then, right here to Ezekiel chapter 36 from verse 24 and following, I mean, Ezekiel's He's going big time Christian on us here. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you. A new spirit I will place within you. I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. We we studied so much about the Babylonian exile and why it happened, right? While while they were maybe going through even some of the actions of the law, nothing was here. They were so far from the Lord. But now he's going to take and he's going to put, he's going to prophesy a time when the law of God is no longer going to be written outside, but it's going to be the desire of the heart. And when that happens, he's going to cleanse us with water. Christians? Ezekiel's prophesying baptism. You can't explain it any other way. And when we're baptized, no longer you're going to be living on on the law. You're going to be living with the law. Yes, but it's going to be inside you because you've been made one with God. And his will, which was written on stone because of the fall outside of man, is going to be returned to its proper place in Jesus and all of us who have been baptized into him. Yes, so this the the resurrection and the spirit for a moment now the spirit of god the life of god is eternal and those that have eternal life will live forever we were not made for death death is the greatest offense thrown in the face of the living god we were not made for death we were made for life we are a people that believes in the resurrection we believe in the bodily resurrection you are going to have a body forever when the second coming happens we believe this we confess this in the creed yes this is the hope of all of humanity and not only of the christians but all of uh, this is the fundamental problem of the fall right is that this is what jesus has come to save us from is from death from separation from god and to give us that possibility and how is he going to do that the only way that man will ever live forever is if the spirit of God, what is true about God is true about man. 
And that's what Ezekiel prophesies, the restoration of mankind, not only from Babylon, but the restoration to paradise. What Jesus comes to give us in the resurrection, what we're about to see in the story of Lazarus, is God's original plan for man. That we do not die forever, that we do not, that the devil does not have the last word. Yeah. And Jesus is going to come and begin that work in Bethany. And he meets his friend Lazarus and calls him out of the tomb. Let's go there, Annie. Okay. Very quickly, we're going to skip the psalm just because we just don't have time. I did see I was going to share with you a quotation oh, from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. I'm going to do that right now. And so let's go ahead. I'm going to go and give this to you. And then we're going to go to the gospel passage. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, the hope of resurrection is the root of every kind of good work for the expectation of, of reward braces the soul to productive toil. And whereas every worker is ready to sustain his toil, if he can look forward to being repaid for his labors, where toil has no recompense, the soul is soon discouraged and the body flags with it. A soldier who expects his share of the spoils is ready for war, but no one is prepared to die serving a king so undiscerning that he does not provide reward for the labors. In the same way, any soul that believes in resurrection takes care of it, of itself, as is right. But any soul that disbelieves in resurrection abandons itself to destruction. Hello, our modern world. Yeah. A person who believes that the body survives or rises again is careful of this garment and does not soil it by fornication. But a person who does not believe in the resurrection gives himself up to fornication, abusing his own body as if it were nothing to him. Hello? When is he writing? The, the, mighty <laughs> mess, the, the, the mighty message and teaching of the Holy Catholic Church is belief about the resurrection of the dead, mighty and most indispensable. My brothers and sisters, this is a major problem within even within many, many Christians. Many, there's many Christians that don't believe in the resurrection. No wonder they're losing the faith. No wonder they're living a life far from God. It's this resurrection the resurrection is the central mystery of our faith, without which nothing matters. It is the only hope of the Christians. And it is why Jesus begins his passion by going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Annie, let's go there. Incredible. Okay. Um, can I ask a few questions before we get into Please. the text? Since it's okay, long? okay, so let's get our context here because last week we were... In John chapter nine, we had the the healing of the blind man at the uh, the pool of Siloam, and mm -hmm. so now we're here, just two chapters later in John eleven. Um, is there anything of note that we need to know about happening between then and now to better understand what we're about to read? Well, Jesus does give his his what dialogue is his, his teaching on the good shepherd mm -hmm. in chapter ten, and if you want. I'm just going to give you a passage. My eye is trying to find it on in my Bible. There it is, Ezekiel chapter 34. So if you if you love the story of the good shepherd and then you somewhere, go back and read chapter 34 of Ezekiel. Okay. Mm. Again, I mean, we're right there. And so in, in our Old Testament reading. So Ezekiel chapter 34, which helps you understand how Jesus's words, it wasn't, it wasn't the nice good shepherd. <laughs> Jesus' words were a condemnation of, of, of the Jewish authorities, and they understood him for what he was saying, and it was kind of like poking the bear, yeah, mm. and we're going to see that bear start to get very angry here. I mean, we've been seeing it throughout the gospel, but here in John chapter uh, chapter 11, and, and then, um, uh, so that's, yes, that's my context I got to give you. 
All right, now tell us about the location of the raising of Lazarus. Oh, sure. You can go there today. Bethany, it's right there in, in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany, there's two Bethanies in the Bible. This is the Bethany near the near Jerusalem. And it's just over the hill. In fact, we'll pull up a map here. You can see it's right there. It's only it's only two miles. Wow. So it's it's literally, if you're at the Temple Mount, you go up the Mount of Olives and you go over the hill and bingo. Right you're there. Problem today is that the Israeli government has made that tri that trip very difficult, and so it actually takes quite a while to drive there now because you got to go around through the all the stuff. So, anyways, but it's only a two mile walk for Jesus. He comes wow. over, and the Mount of Olives itself is only is about three quarters of a mile. So you got to just go over the hill, and it's right there. Okay, you okay. can go there today and visit the tomb of Lazarus. I've been there many times. I love pe taking people down into the tomb itself, um, and it's very beautiful. Yeah. Is Lazarus actually buried there now? Well, his bones aren't in the tomb anymore. No, it's empty. No. <laughs> Just wondering. I mean, he but eventually it, but, dies again, I guess. But you have to go down and it's through this rock. It's a rock tomb way down under oh, the tomb. Cool. You go down these stairs down to this deep, deep tomb. Um, okay. And it's very powerful to go there. There's no light and you gotta, you, it's very dark in there. It's very small and you go in and I always bring our whole group was down there and we sing about Lazarus, about the race of Lazarus and we enter into the into the tomb itself. That's incredible. Okay, so let's get to reading this. John chapter 11, starting yeah. with verse one. You know, Annie, for the sake of time today, um, because because we're running along, and I also want to play something else for you guys, um, we're not going to actually read through the passage. You read it on your own, our, our Sunday Golf Reflection people. You know the story of Lazarus. You're driving in the car. You'll, you know the story. And Annie's got a couple of questions about a few verses, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And then I want to conclude by doing a second portion of our musical interlude today, which I think oh, would be very helpful with Lazarus. So let's let's go ahead, Annie, and jump in here and and by asking a couple of questions about the text, expecting that people have hit pause and actually read chapter eleven. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I want to go to uh, John eleven verse five and following. It says, "Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus." So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Mm, now that yeah. makes yeah. No, no sense. sense. Yeah, like, it makes why? no sense unless Jesus is God, right? Sure. Because otherwise, hello, Jehovah's Witnesses watching our Sunday Gospel Reflection. Hello. <laughs> you forgot to change this passage in your Bible like you changed all the other passages which prove Jesus's divinity. But here's one that you missed that he actually knew what was going to happen, which means he's not just a man, right? He knew what he was going to do. And, and why, so why does he stay two days longer? Well, obviously, so that he would be able to raise him from the dead, to be able to strengthen his disciples for what was about to come. We've said this before about the transfiguration on the mountain. There's a, a, a strengthening of Peter, James, and John. Here again, the fathers of the church see this action of Jesus waiting very much in those same terms that Lazarus, the, the raising of Lazarus, foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do, it's going to strengthen his followers in such a way that they will not give up in the fight, right? Mm. And, and ultimately, that answer is given to us verse in verse 14. Well, we can go back to verse 12. 
The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant the taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And this is one of my favorite verses. Thomas called the twin who gets such a bad rap in the gospel for being doubting Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Hmm. St. Thomas is ready. Now he's also going to struggle in that readiness, but nevertheless, they understood what Jesus was going. They knew at this point in the gospel that if Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he was going to be arrested and killed. They knew it for sure. So let's go. Right. So he didn't say, let's go, let's go see him. Let's go see Jesus. Come on. You can raise him from the dead. He didn't say that. Let us go. And when we go, we're going to die. That was the mindset of the apostles heading into Jerusalem, which is very powerful. Okay. And you have some other questions. So next thing I want to ask father is let's start with like verse 21. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Mm. What, what does it mean to be the resurrection? Uh, well, well, I'll just go back to what I said earlier about Ezekiel. And then is the spirit of God is alive. Yeah. And those that have the spirit of God within them live. And that spirit is proper to Jesus. <laughs> now, he is, he is the one he, he is. Well, maybe, and maybe we take one step further, right? He's taken our humanity to himself, right? Mm. He is a, a, the living, the living resurrection before the resurrection, because he has taken our dead humanity, our humanity, which is yoked to sin and brought it back to life. Yes. But I'll, I'll just one other aspect of this passage is very, this, that is important. And that is the, the power of faith. The power of belief. Why is it that you, those who believe will live forever? Because belief is the total giving of myself to the beloved, to the one I believe myself to, right? It is a complete giving of myself. And when that happens, uh, we, we say that the, that the two become one, right? What that person knows, what that person sees becomes mine, right? I begin to see something in, in the idea of the eyes of faith, okay? I'll give you a small example of this. Behind this wall, now those that have been to my parish before from the Institute for Our Living Catholic trips, you don't count. So you have to step aside. Behind this wall is a hallway, okay? okay. And on that hallway is a switch, two switches for the hallway. Now, the only way for you to know that is for me to tell you and for you to believe me. Mm-hmm. And when you believe me, you actually come to know something through faith that you could not otherwise have known. That knowledge now becomes yours. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, a- I love that. 10 feet away from me yes. is a drum kit. 
<laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> if I am, if I, I, I lay my intellect down and I, and I place it in your hands right? and yours becomes mine. What is yours? Now, do you see how faith is amazing? Because Jesus has seen the father, right? Wow. And yeah. so Jesus becomes this one who reveals to us what we could not otherwise see. Yeah. And so, and so belief has this, this kind of this power in which the two become one. So those who believe themselves to Jesus are made one with him. And then the spirit of Jesus becomes our spirit, right? We now live according to the life of God. And so I was, that, that's what really, I mean, okay, I'm going kind of philosophical, right? And Jesus isn't going sure. philosophical, but nevertheless, this is why, why, why Jesus calls for this faith from these people to say, look, if you will just come and be one with me, you'll have no fear of death. Yeah. And then the raising of Lazarus is just going to simply reveal that reality of what has already taken place. Well, Father, I mean, I think we can't think about or reflect upon the the, the raising of Lazarus without going to the most famous verse in that entire passage, Jesus wept. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of commentaries, the shortest passage in the Bible. Everybody always says the shortest passage in the Bible. Okay, fine. But the, 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 the reality of him weeping is what is, what, what sets this, I think this gospel is so powerful because we encounter something, which is, we, we encounter God weeping. And so let me, let me just share with you the insights of Father Alexander Schmemann. He says, God encounters in his own world a power which destroys his work and annihilates his design. Jesus wept. Why, if he is God? Because he is the God-man. His very tears are divine tears. The world was created to reflect and proclaim the glory of God, and it stinks. At the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus, God encounters death. He meets his enemy who claims the title Prince of this World. His hour has come. The true prince encounters the Antichrist. The cross, its necessity and universal meaning, are announced in the words Jesus wept. It is here that the power of death meets the power of love. Jesus wept. Jesus loved Lazarus. The power of resurrection is not a divine power in itself, but the power of love, or rather love as power. God is love and love is life. Love creates life. It is love that weeps at the grave, and it is love that restores life. This is the meaning of the divine tears of Jesus. In them, love is at work again, recreating, redeeming, restoring the darkened life of man. Lazarus come forth. I'm going to share with you a couple of quotations from the church fathers uh, on this passage that are just so beautiful. And, and Annie, this is where I think what, what Father Alexander Schmemann is saying and is puts us on the right track, uh, really according to the mind of the fathers. So, so many talk in terms of Jesus's humanity yeah. at this, with this passage, but the fathers of the church take a, a, a maybe a different approach. They, they look at the fact that this is God in, 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 in the flesh. And therefore what he sees is not only his friend, but he sees our humanity in the state of his creation. And then through our humanity, 
lives out this moment. I'm going to share this passage, uh, this quote to you from, from Peter, St. Peter Chrysologus, and then I'm going to conclude with a quotation from St. Andrew of Crete, rather both long quotations, but I think well worth our meditation. Hit me. Okay. St. Peter Chrysologus says, when Christ began to strike the doors of the underworld, to break through the gates of Tartarus, to open the entrance of death, and to demand the return of Lazarus's soul, the power of Tartarus was all in its fury, with all of its fury confronted him, brandishing the edict of the ruler of heaven. And on seeing the man, Tartarus asked who Christ was. As he asked who he was, the angels serving as ministers of the resurrection answered him in the words of the prophet, he is the king of glory. He is the one who is strong and mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. He is the ruler of heaven, the creator of the earth, the savior of the world, the redeemer of all. He is the one who rendered the death sentence that you are that, that has you in a fury. He is about to tread on your head crush your authority and issue his own judgment, his own judgment of condemnation on you, who, although ordered to seize the guilty, drag away the innocent, abduct the saints, and now threaten the Son of God himself. So give back one before you are forced to release them all. St. Andrew of Crete says, Lazarus, come out. It is the voice of the Lord, the proclamation of the king, an authoritative command, come out. Leave corruption behind and receive the flesh of incorruption, Lazarus, come out. Let them know that the time has come when those in the tomb will hear the voice of the Son of Man. Once they have heard, they will come alive, come out. The stumbling block is taken away. Come to me. I am calling you. Come out. As a friend, I am calling you. As Lord, I am commanding you. Come out. Covered with a burial cloth, so that they who they won't think you were only pretending to be dead. Let them see your hands and feet bound and your face covered. Let them see if they still do not believe the miracle come out and let the stench of your body prove the resurrection. Let the burial linen be undone so that they can recognize the one who was put in the tomb. Come out, come alive and enliven, come out of the tomb. Teach them how all creation will be enlivened in a moment when the trumpet's voice proclaims the resurrection of the dead. Come out. Let breath appear in your nostrils. Let blood pulse through your veins. Let the voice sound in your larynx. Let words fill your ears. Let vision enlighten your eyes. Let the sense of smell fill your senses. Walk as nature intended, as your earthly tent is enlivened by your soul. Lazarus, come out. Leave behind the burial cloth and glorify the miracle, leaving the revolting stench of death and proclaiming the strength of my power. I am calling you out, Lazarus, come out. I who said, let there be light, let there be a firmament. Now say, Lazarus, come out. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? I have chills. We're going to finish our study today by going back to a beautiful piece of music that is sung by the people of the Holy Land, sung traditionally on the day in which this gospel is read in the church. And it is absolutely amazing and absolutely powerful. I hope you, again, will take some time to sit down and meditate with uh, our ICC family on what God has done, not only for Lazarus, but for all of us in announcing the future resurrection 
of all of mankind. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and to the ages of ages.
Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.